Now then, in the eighth chapter of the book of Mark, I want to read to you this morning a very, what I think is a very unusual passage of Scripture. It has to do with Jesus healing a blind man. And I want you to be looking for some things in the reading of this Scripture. And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, seeing things out of focus. Because I believe that there are a lot of folks in this world, many of them, who call themselves Christians, and they well may be. I'm not the judge. But a lot of folks do not see things as I believe they're clearly laid down in the Word of God. So I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, seeing things out of focus. Now when you look at the Scripture, just a few verses in Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and to bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he'd spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now there are two tremendous expressions in the little passage I've read to you this morning. In verse 24, he, when the Lord asked him, Do you see anything to the blind man whom he touched? He looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Now just nail that expression down in your mind. I see men as trees walking. Now notice in verse 25. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now here's a tremendous contrast in the wonderful miracle of this man. He first of all said, I see men as trees walking. Now men do not look like trees. And trees never walk. Maybe you think you've seen some trees walking, but that was a trick. Uh, men do not look like trees. And trees never walk. And yet this man with whom the Lord was working and dealing said, I see men as trees walking. The Lord had further work to do in his life. And finally, the man said, I see every man clearly. First, he saw men out of focus. He saw men as trees walking. Then he saw every man clearly, the Bible says. 
Now, I do not know really why. But of all the miracles Jesus performed, and every miracle has a meaning that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry. But I do not know why, but he did more healing of the blind than he did in any other physical miracle. Now, all the miracles mean something. You know, Jesus raised the dead. The Bible teaches lost people are dead in trespasses and in sins. So Jesus raised the dead symbolically of what he does spiritually to those who believe and trust in him. He brings them out of death into abundant and eternal life. You know, the Lord healed what the Bible speaks of as important people. That is, they had no power of motivation, no power to walk like the man at the pool of Bethesda. That's a picture also of a sinner. Sinner has no power to save himself. In fact, he's like the paralytic. He cannot even come to Jesus without some external help. So Jesus healed important people to show the impotency of the sinner to do anything for himself until the Lord saves him. But Jesus healed more blind people than any other one type of miracle he worked while he was on this earth for three years. Now that's a, a fulfillment of prophecy for one thing. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, I will bring the blind by a way that they know not, and I will lead them in paths that they've not known, and they, and turn their darkness to light. So here's the record of Jesus healing a blind man. There's a lot to this I wish you could see. First of all, he healed him out of the city. There was a little city called Bethsaida, but Jesus wouldn't heal him in the city. There's a reason for that. Many miracles had been wrought in that city. The Lord had ministered in that city, the city of Bethsaida. But they turned down the Lord. They turned down the light. They turned the deaf ear to the Word of God. That's a dangerous thing to do. So one day the Lord said to them, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, and woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that have been done in thee had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. And Jesus went out of that city, and Jesus, as it were, gave up on the city of Bethsaida, who turned down the light and rejected the truth. So one day they come to him in the city, and they bring a blind man to him. And the Lord, they said to him, Touch this man and make him see. By the way, in the healing of these six blind men, none of them were healed exactly the same way. They were all healed the, the same, but not in the same way. To one, he merely touched him. To another, he spat upon his fingers and touched him. To another, he 
spat upon the ground and made an ointment of clay and put it upon his eyes. It's a good thing those three men are not with us today. Because if you'd say to them, now how are you saved? One of them would say, well, you have to have the Lord put spittle on your eyes. And another one would say, no, you're all wrong. You have to have the Lord just touch your eyes. And an another one would say, no, you're both wrong. If you want your eyes open, you have to have the Lord make an ointment out of him, out of clay, and put ointment on your eyes. If they were alive today, you'd have a movement called the Mudites and the Spittites and the Touchites. And they'd have nothing in the world to do one with another if they were alive today. But the Lord took him by the hand and led him out of the city to show that the judgment of God had already come upon a city that had turned down the Lord. But a strange thing happens here. I read it a good many years before I ever dared to preach on it. And I may be presumptuous even now. But when the Lord um, administered to him, the man said, I see men as trees walking. Jesus seemed to say, that's not good enough. You're seeing things out of focus. Uh, trees don't walk and men never look like trees. Now maybe you say, well, preacher, I saw a man one time that looked like a tree. Maybe you're thinking of a tree stump. But the men don't look like trees. And men never walk. And so Jesus uh, here seems to be saying, well, you're not seeing right. You're not seeing clearly. I'm, I'm going to do further work on you. You say, well, this looks like second blessing to me. No, I'll tell you what it looks like to me. You think back when you were saved and how little you really saw. You know, Jesus said, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, when the Lord saved me, I, I didn't know anything except I'm saved. I knew that beyond any shadow of a doubt. If the Lord, if somebody had come to me and said, what do you think about eternal security? I'd have said, I don't even know how to spell it. If somebody had said, are you a premillennialist or a postmillennialist? I wouldn't have had any idea what they were talking about. If someone had said to me, what do you think about predestination? I wouldn't have known what they were talking about. I think I would have had to say, I kindly see things out of focus. But you see, the Lord continues the work of grace in the life of a new convert. That's why the Bible says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a man who saw things out of focus. And I want to just have you think with me this morning on some things I believe that people see out of focus people maybe by the millions this is true of their lives I know a lot of folks see 
the matter of conversion or the new birth out of focus. Now, there's no doubt about it. You see, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. And when you're saved, you're, you're saved for time and eternity. You're made a new creature in Christ. But there are folks that say, well, I'm saved, but free to sin. That is not true. I know Christians do sin. They're not a perfect Christian on the face of the earth. If you're looking for one around here, I have news for you. I've been here nearly 43 years. I've never seen one yet. Because there isn't any such thing as a perfect Christian. But sometimes people get it in their, eye, in their head. Well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And nothing in the world can keep me from going to heaven because I have been born again. And that's true. But the Bible doesn't teach you're free to sin. You see, the Bible says um, that if we that are dead to sin should not continue uh, therein any longer. And the Bible teaches us, and my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. So because you're saved, you're not free to sin. You know, we Baptists get some false criticism. Sometimes people say, well, those Baptist people believe that when you get saved, you can just do anything in the world that you want to and still go to heaven. Well, when you get saved, you're going to heaven. But let me remind you something. When you get saved, God changes your wanter. Some things you used to want, you don't want after you're saved. Like somebody said to a man, what do you think about drinking? said, I drink all I want to. said, what do you think about gambling? I gamble all I want to. said, what do you think about cussing? He said, I, I cuss all I want to. You folks up north say cursing. Down where I was raised, they said cussing. But you know what I'm talking about. Fellow said, I just curse all I want to. And somebody said, well, that's strange. Hear a Christian talk like that. He said, I don't want to drink and I don't want to gamble. And I don't want to curse because the Lord has made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. So when you're saved, you're not free to sin as you please, merely because you've been born again. So when a converted person, born again Christian, takes that attitude, I'm saved and going to heaven, nothing can change that. That's true. But you're still not free to sin. I heard an old preacher preach many years ago. I don't know whether Baptist people would even let him in their churches. I heard him before I was a pastor. He was what was called a Pentecostal preacher. I want not to tell you this, but he wore his hair long. And back in those days, uh, no one thought anything about it. He had hair like a prophet. His hair was gray, and it came down. Oh, what a godly-looking man he was. When I see that on a man now, I wonder if he shouldn't wear a dress also. But anyway, uh, notwithstanding, he was a godly man. 
His name was H.C. Morrison, Henry Clay Morrison. My, he could preach. He, it looked like he could reach up and get a hold of the stars and pull them down when he preached. He preached of what we call a sinless perfection. That is, that you can get saved and come to the place where you never sin. And some one day, someone said to old Dr. Morrison, said, well, Dr. Morrison, have you come to the place where you never sin? And old Dr. Henry C. Morrison said, no, but I've come to the place where I don't want to. And listen, that's the place a Christian ought to be. For when you're saved, you're still not free to sin. Many a Christian sees regeneration out of focus. There are those that see it this way. Well, I'm saved, but not forever. You know, I was raised in people that believe that. They, I, I know people that got saved, as they put it, every, su every summer of the world during the revival meeting. They thought, hey, you saved? If you ever do sin and word thought of deed, you're lost and you need to get saved again. That's not the teaching of the Bible. I don't care what you think about it and what tradition says. The Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're saved. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come in the judgment, but is, right now, present tense, is passed from death unto life. Now that's what the Bible says. That's, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. Jesus said, Whosoever believeth in me shall never perish. Paul said, Being confident of this one thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of redemption. Hallelujah. See, he commenced it. He's continuing it. And he'll consummate it someday when he gives you a new body. So thank God when the Lord saves a person, you're saved for time and eternity. But there are folks that don't see it that way, and God bless them. Uh, if they get to heaven, and I believe they will, a lot of them, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I used to know a man that believed that way. He was a pastor of a church here, and I met him. He's such a godly man, pastor of a church uh, here in the city of Pontiac. We used to get together and we'd talk about the matter of being saved and uh, whether if you were saved, you could ever be lost. And he quotes scripture, same ones I quoted. And one day I said to him, John, do you believe? Now, he's a preacher. I said, do you believe that you're saved forever? He said, yes, I believe I am. But he said, I don't know about my people. Oh, listen, I just put, we were sitting in the car. I just threw back my head and laughed. I thought that's one of the funniest things I ever heard. Listen, friend, I not only believe it for me, I believe it for you. That the Lord said, I give unto them eternal life. And no man shall pluck them 
out of my hand. Listen, thank God this morning. You're in the hand of the Lord. And he said, no man shall pluck them out of my father's hands. My father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. So some folks believe you're saved, they're saved, but not forever. Some people believe they're saved and not responsible for other people. Do you know, folks, this is a thing. I believe it's prevalent in, in Christianity and in, in independent, fundamental Bible-believing churches. A lot of folks believe, well, I'm saved. Well, I've had folks say to me, well, um, if a man wants to come to church, let him come like I came. I'm not responsible for him. Listen, dear friend, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible said, now and then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled. And I want to say to you, if you're genuinely born again this morning, you and I ought to have in our heart an interest in getting other people saved. Oh, I would to God the Lord had send a great revival in this church. I mean a revival of people wanting to win souls and to get other people saved. I wish I had time to talk to you more about it this morning. But listen, if you're seeing conversion as being saved but free to sin, being saved but not forever, being saved but not responsible, you're seeing conversion, a regeneration, out of focus, for that is not Bible regeneration. I, I believe that a lot of people see the church out of focus. You know, I'm positive and there's so much I don't know. I mean that. Every day in my life, I learn what I don't know every day of my life. But I believe a lot of people that really don't understand what the church is all about. I see folks who have no church. I remember speaking to a lady in Middletown, Ohio. I was holding a revival meeting there and people were getting saved and baptized and joining the church. I said to a lady who came uh, up to talk to me at the close of one of the services, I said, are you a member of this church? She said, no, I'm not a member. I said, how long have you been attending? She gave me a good number of years. I said, uh, she said, I'm a member down south. And I said, how long have you been up north? And she said, 26 years and been attending, attending that church many years. I said to her, where is your membership? She told me about the little country church and the little graveyard by it. And she said they don't have church there anymore. Said the old church is closed up and the doors are about to fall off and the windows are knocked out and just a few tombstones around it. I said, lady, you're not a member of any church. I said, your membership is in a wood pile next door to a graveyard. And that's not, that's not church membership. I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ has built a 
and ordain a visible church that you can see called the local church. And do you know the Lord has said to that church that you are to observe certain ordinances. The ordinance of believers' baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And I want to say to you that those are things you can see and they're visible and they're material and they speak of great things and no invisible church can serve the Lord's Supper. And no invisible church can baptize a new convert. Now there are, there is such a thing as the mystical church, the invisible church, universal. I can see people that have been, uh, that were saved 200 years ago and have already died. I can't see them. They're invisible to me. I can't see the saints across the sea. They're invisible to me. I can't see the people yet to be saved. But I want to tell you the emphasis in the Bible is on a local church. And the epistles are written to the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, to the church which is at Rome. And God's Word puts the emphasis upon the local New Testament church. And the Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Well, some folks say, Well, I, let me pray about it. I believe in prayer. Oh, thank God for prayer. There's nothing like prayer. And uh, praise the Lord for the way He's answered prayer for me and my family in recent days. There's nothing like prayer. You know, some things you don't need to pray about. I say to a new convert, now you've been saved, and you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You pray about it with me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pray for somebody to be baptized. You see, the Lord just said, do it. Don't give me this prayer business. And I believe there's some things that are so clear in the Word of God that the Lord wants a saint to be identified with a local church. Why, if I were to move, I'd move everything important. I'd move my refrigerator and my stove and the furniture. And I want to tell you, when a Christian moves, he ought to have his letter under his arm. And he ought to find a New Testament local church that believes the Bible is the Word of God. And preaches Jesus Christ as God's divine Son. And believe the whole truth of the Word of God. And they ought to join it. We have a man, member of this church, God bless him, he's ill now, who is an undertaker. Who tells me that eight out of every ten families that come to that undertaking institution, eight out of every ten has to say to the undertaking people, I, we don't have a church. Can you suggest a church and a preacher and somebody that would take care of the funeral of our loved one? I want to tell you, friends, if the Lord tarries, and I don't think He will, I don't think the Lord's going to tarry long enough for me to die. In fact, I, I, just, I don't plan to die at all. 
I've made no arrangements whatsoever to die. And if I do, I think it will shock me to death if I do. I think if I do, it'll startle me to where I, I, I probably lose my breath if I do. Because I don't plan to. As some old, some country preacher said, I'm not looking uh, for the undertaker, I'm looking for the uppertaker. And I'm believing that the Lord's going to come and take old Tom home and give him a new body. And I'm just listening for the trumpet to blow any time. Because I believe the Lord's coming. Praise the Lord. But you know, um, if it were to happen, I'd sure want it in that paper. If my death makes the paper, I don't know whether it would or not. But if it did, I would want it to say, Member of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Or you let some prominent man die, and they'll have a list of things. He's a member of the lions and, and uh, the tigers and the moose and the goose and everything. And one thing after another. Bless God, I'm glad I have a church. And I love my church. You say it's because you're the preacher. No. I love it because it's God's church. And it's God's people. And it's where God's Word is preached. And where the Lord is magnified. And it's a local church. I'm glad I'm a member of it. Well, I'm going to pass on uh, from that. Uh, this man said, I see men as trees walking. I think a lot of people do not see clearly the matter of consecration or separation, or whatever you might want to call it. Do you know that most Christians I talk to, when they talk about separation, to them it means what you don't do. I don't chew tobacco. I don't spit in the sink. I don't do this. That's not the consecration of the Bible. Consecration. Separation of the Bible is characterized by what you do. Why, I had an old lady say to me one time, God bless her, I love old people. Because I'm one of them for one thing. And I love me, we'll tell you that. I love old people. And I have a precious mother, 91 years of age, how precious and dear. I love old people. An old, dear old lady, so help me. She must have been in her 90s. And she walked with a cane. Her hand shook on the top of that cane. And she came up to me one time years ago after I preached. And I'd gotten on the worldliness and the, the dance. And, and some things just kind of hit them as I went by. And she said, the preacher, and her hand shaking, I want to tell you I agree with that sermon. She said that dancing business she said, I don't have a thing in the world to do with it. And I didn't say it to her, but I said to myself, uh, Honey, I know you don't. You couldn't dance if you had to. It's no credit to her. She didn't. Could you imagine uh, that woman uh, doing the twist? Listen, it's no credit to her. She didn't dance. See, what Paul said, he said, separated Unto the gospel of God. And to me, separation is what you do. I, I do, 
I do belong to a local New Testament church. I do believe in soul winning, separated unto the gospel of God. And you can separate from everything you want to. You shall not be separated until you're separated unto the glorious things taught in the Word of God. Oh, some of these people, God bless them. I know I sound critical, but it's, it's a significant thing with me. I see these people walking around overpass. Some of them have a wild look in their eyes. And some of them carry a Bible. Now pray for me. I'm not, I'm not perfect like you folks. Pray for me. When I see a person carrying a Bible nearly as large as that speaker there, I'm suspicious of them. I can't help it. Just pray for me. I saw a man in a meeting not long ago, and he almost had to put both hands under this big Bible. And he's going around saying, Brother, do you have the joy of the Lord? And with his face, this face looked like he'd been eating oatmeal out of a churn. And I said to myself, if he gets to me, I'm going to tell him no. Because I don't want him to think I have the same thing he has. Let me tell you, uh, separation to God is more than carrying a Schofield Bible and a King James Bible. It's, it's separation to God is separation under the gospel. And it's coming out. And being unequally yoked together with unbelievers and going all the way with the gospel and the church and soul winning. Uh, this man said, I see men as trees walking. Uh, my time is up, but I think some people look at the Bible like this. I know folks that say, oh, that book contains the word of God. That's true, but you haven't gone far enough. Uh, that book is the Word of God. That book, that's it right there. And there won't be any more. I was thinking about years ago when this church was thinking about buying some property many years ago and Dr. Lakin was alive. And he said, Tom, or Tom as he called me, he said, Tom, you better buy it. I said, why? He never cracked a smile. He told me about buying a piece of real estate. He said, because they ain't making any more real estate. He said, what there is here, that's it. He said, Tom, you better buy it. And I want to tell you, friend, they're not making any more Bible. If any man add unto this book, I'll add unto him the, uh, the plagues of this book. If any man take away from this book, I'll take away his part out of the book of life. They're not making any more. This is it. Oh, you said, well, I heard Brother Oral Roberts say that the Lord... I don't care what Oral Roberts said. Oral Roberts never heard God speak to him out loud. Amen. You say, well, you ought not talk about it. He ought not to lie. Amen. This is it right here. If God would speak out loud to me, and drop dead. And God speaks through His Word. And thank God it's a perfect book. Hallelujah for the Bible. I tell you, I thank God more for this impeccable book than I ever did in my life. Young man came to me years ago in my office right up the steps there where Brother Joe Fortner's is now. 
he came to me and he'd, he'd gone out of this church and his dad was wonderfully saved here, but his dad made a mistake. A lot of folks make it. He sent him to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I wouldn't go to school. It'd take that long to write the name down in the first place. But he went and he, he his first summer home, he called and said, I want to talk to you. And he came to that office up there and sat down. He said, now, I have a professor that doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God. And he told me what the professor believed about the book of Genesis and the Pentateuch and all this. And I said to him, have you ever asked the professor if he'd ever read it? He said, yes. In fact, he said, preacher, one day I did ask him if he had ever read the Bible. And I said, what did he say? He said, said, no, I've never read it. I don't want to waste my time. I said, son, do you have textbooks at that school? He said, yes. I said, what would you think of me if I'd take one of your textbooks and say, I don't believe that book. And you say to me, have you ever studied it and read it? And I say, no. You'd say to me, you're a fool to say, I don't believe a book you never opened. I want to tell you, I don't put in stock of what these people, the educated beyond their intelligence, say about the Bible. If they read it, they couldn't understand it unless it's born again. Thank God it makes sense to me because I find the Lord Jesus in it. And His blood stains every page. And His Holy Spirit wrote it. And it's God's perfect book. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Thank God for the Bible. Well, my time is up and I'm going to close. But I want to tell you, friend, the Lord can do the real thing in your life and mine. I believe the Lord can save people genuinely, completely, and eternally. Two different people in the last week have spoken to me about loved ones. And one of them said, Pray for my son, her dear mother. She said, he thinks he's so good, he doesn't need to be saved. There isn't such a person. Oh, listen, no one ever gets to heaven because they do right. You're going to get to heaven because you believe in the Lord Jesus. The other one said, pray for my loved one. They think they're so deep in sin and gone so far. And they waited so long that there's no hope for them. Thank God the Lord can save either one. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, I will in no wise cast out. Shall we pray? Oh, Father in heaven this morning, I pray first of all that you bless your word to our own hearts. May we be moved by it, stirred by it. May it take hold of us and grip us today, the blessed Word of God. And Lord, I pray this morning that precious souls will be saved. Lord, speak to the hearts of us Christians. I pray, dear Lord, that not one Christian here will sit here thinking it doesn't matter whether people get saved or not. Oh, how much it mattered to thee, dear Lord. You gave your life and wore the crown of thorns and died upon the cross. 
and suffered all the shame and spittle because it matters where men spend eternity. Bless the word of God to hearts and may thy Holy Spirit do his wonderful work in our midst this morning.